you. If you need a Bible, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Philippians, <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. I've seen two prime examples of the definition of hot in the last 24 hours. Right now, those gentlemen across the street putting a roof on that building, I bet it's hot. And yesterday afternoon at 4 o'clock, I did a wedding outside wearing a black robe that weighs about 20 pounds. It was funny, I got, you know how you do weddings, they get there, it's a beautiful place to do them, and it was in Fayette County, and you get there, and you know, they get there a couple hours early to take pictures. Well, two o'clock in the afternoon, yesterday is a little toasty. So I get there about three o'clock, they don't need me for pictures, they don't, they don't ruin anything. So I get there about three o'clock for, and I'm carrying my robe, I'm not dumb enough to be wearing it at this point. So I'm carrying it, and I go inside where, and it's inside where the reception was, it was like it is in here, it's freezing. And... It was people standing everywhere, and every time they could find an air conditioner event, they were like this. <sighs> and the wedding coordinator is a young lady. She's probably 30, 35. She does this all the time. She was literally, I can't cool. I, I can't. Well, here, put black robe on, like outside. So, so I go watch, and this, you know, the photographers, they're 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 there. There's two or three of them. They're working hard. They're trying to get everybody. They're screaming. I just went outside to watch. I like, I love the. So I go stand outside, and you know, they don't need me till till the wedding starts, four o'clock. So I'm just outside watching people, and the photographers turn around. I mean, he's sweating, drenched, he's working hard. And he goes, "Where are the groomsmen?" And I said, "None of my business." But if you want anybody, I'd go inside. I mean, literally, there was nobody out there. And, I saw the mother of the bride, and, and of course they, they're all dressed up very nice, formal wedding. They tend to put on a lot of makeup, and their hair's done nice, and her late, her makeup was melting. It was it was just so hot. So we get, I had like 10 people come up to me prior to the wedding. This is like five or four. And I said, man, if it was up to me, it'd be no problem, because I've already signed at the paper, and they're married. It really doesn't make any sense what I say. But they, got a custom, they had a custom wedding ceremony, and certain things they wanted said and done, and I said, dude, and, you know, the show's got to go on, so I, I, I'm your man. Literally, we get down there, and, and it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's in the woods. They've got arbor, and we're in the shade, but it's still, it, I mean, it, people dropping flies. I'm saying, by the way, I do funerals also for those of you that need it. So we get down there, and I'm wearing, I'm telling you, this black robe, it's hot. And, you know, I told you before, I've made a decision now, and I'm just going to wear a bathing underneath it. It was, man, it's hot. So I get down there, and we're in place, you know, the brides come down, and I look, and I look down. And for those of you who are old enough to remember Lawrence Welk, a few of us, me and Kurt, we might remember, we remember Lawrence Welk. They had a bubble machine right here behind me. And literally, it looked like I'm melting. There are bubbles coming up everywhere. Just You can't even, and they, they got the machine turned up full blast. So there, there are bubbles everywhere. I'm like doing this, trying to, and the, and the groom's mom, she goes, leave the bubbles alone. Literally, we're getting ready to start the ceremony. She goes, stop playing with the bubbles. And I said, yes, ma'am, I, I, I'll do that. And they were going to, they had their own, they written their own vows. And I would, when they were fine, biblically sure you do it. And, and I brought copies of the vows with me because you never know. So we get down there and the groom's got his, I mean, this guy, he's got his vows ready. And the, and the bride just do her vow. And she looks over at the maid of honor, supposed to have her copies. She doesn't think the maid of honor has them. She's like, and I'm, I said, just relax, I got it right here. And it, I said, so I get down the road, and I said, for those of you that think it's hot, come on up here and put this robe on. But we made it through. We survived. They got me. Nobody died. All right, Philippians chapter 2. As we've been going through the book of Philippians and looking at 
what it means to live a life in full joy. And the theme of the book is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We've looked at different attitudes of, of joy in the life of a believer, gratitude, perspective, and humility. Today, we're transitioning into the next attitude, and that is sacrifice. We've seen in verses 5 through 11, the sacrifice of Christ, great example. And then he says to us, this is what it means to sacrifice. And literally, what we're going to be looking at over the next couple of weeks, the balance and how to live a Christian life in the way that God expects to. To understand, we've talked about perspective. Once I get that perspective and I see that God expects me to be humble, how do I live that out? The balance between my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and then working that out. I was reading an article this week about a lady named Susan Taylor. And so she lived in California, lived by herself, a young lady. And one night in her home, three, four in the morning, there's an earthquake. She wakes up, the earthquake is happening, and it was apparently a very severe earthquake. And she gets up, of course, it's pitch black, there's no power, and this earthquake, it's happening around her. And literally, she just, she found an arched doorway in her house, got under the doorway, and just stood there while this earthquake proceeds, and everything around her is falling apart. She wakes up, find her house is gone, just where she, where she was sleeping. She went to what had been her bedroom, where her bed was, and it was the pile of rubble there. She stood under the archway. She survived. But literally, she lost everything she had in the earthquake. And she was talking about that the experience changed her life permanently. Here's what she said, quote, Before the quake, I had all the trappings of success, but my life was out of balance. I wasn't happy because I was clinging to things in my life and always wanting more. My home, my job, my, my clothes, a relationship. I thought they were my security. It took an earthquake and losing everything I owned for me to discover that my security had been with me all along. There's a power within us that we can depend upon no matter what's happening around us. Now, each day of my life, I take time to sit in silence and allow God to be God in me. And that's what I want us to think about and focus on over the next couple of weeks is the idea of letting God be God, the Holy Spirit working in me as a child of God, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, as the Holy Spirit works in me, and I cooperate with that prompting and that work, and then I live it out, that I am literally the instrument that God is using. Am I willing to understand that balance? And here's the question that you'll have to ask, and I really want you to focus on in your life as we look at this in the rest of Philippians chapter 2. We're going to see three great examples of human beings. We've seen the example of Jesus Christ, the God-man. We're going to see three examples of men who live this life, the life of sacrifice. And the question that Randy has to ask, and you have to ask as a believer, is am I willing sacrifice blank? Because, see, it's going to be different for you than it might be for me. It's going to be different for this person than it might be for, for you, the person next to you, the person on the other side of the room. Am I willing to sacrifice whatever to be everything God wants me to be? Is Jesus my Lord, my master? The term literally means my owner, my master. Am I willing to listen and be everything he wants me to be as he works through me? The idea is finding the balance between faith and obedience. I was reading Ray Stedman this week, and I always read Ray Stedman whenever I'm preparing a sermon. I just go and read what he preached on it years ago. Tremendous man of God. And he was talking about obedience, and here's what he said. To obey in the Bible does not equal a grinding set of rules with God as a tyrant with a whip ready to beat us back into line. And I love that mental image because growing up, an aside, growing up, that's the way I looked at God. 
is that he was the great king in the sky, kind of like Thor. I, uh, growing up, I, my brother and I loved comic books, and one of his favorites, Thor. He's back again, and, you know, it's cool again now. My son is into all that. Mine was Captain America. That movie's pretty cool, and, you know, that's, I loved Captain America. I don't know why, but my brother loved Thor, and, you know, that hammer. And to me, that's kind of the way God was, like he was Odin or he was Zeus. And I, I used to love to read mythology because if, as a human being, I wasn't a Christian. As a human being, we are created with an innate sense that something out there bigger than us. And I was searching for that. I didn't know what it was. I went to church every Sunday. My mom had me in church. We talked about God and about being good. But to me, God was this, this being up there in the sky somewhere that was just waiting to get me when I did wrong. And I love what Stedman said, the idea that he had the whip, to whip me back into line. Not a, not a personal into father, but the big guy in the sky that was going to get me if I didn't line up. So continuing what Stedman says, and he's ready with the whip to whip us back into line. Rather... Obedience in the Bible is being under grace, and it means the intelligent application of the Bible's principles, because that's what it is. It's that I trust God. I'm born again. I'm a child of God by, by faith in what the work Jesus did on the cross. I'm born again. I become a child of God in the Word of God. That's why, that's why being in the Bible is such a passion for me, and I hope it is for you to learn, not just to do it because we're supposed to read the Bible, but I want to know what my dad wants. Someone has said that the Bible is 66 love letters from God. When you read the book of Judges, it doesn't read like a love letter. But what God is trying to say something, learn historically, scripturally, what was God doing? Why was he doing it? And then when you understand grace, that God give me peace, and I don't deserve it. He gives me a hope. I don't deserve it. He gives me eternal life. I don't deserve it. He loves me when I do not reciprocate. I don't deserve that. Grace, mercy is he doesn't give me what I do deserve, just hell, separation from him. Jesus took that for me. God says, Randy, you're my child. Now, pay attention, boy, I got something for you. And I need to be in the Word of God. And as I learn what it says, faith always in the Bible inexorably leads to obedience. But obedience, is not, faith is not a blind leap in the dark and I just obey a set of rules and regulations. That's what Stedman was talking about. Faith, rather, which leads to obedience, is understanding grace, finding out what the Bible teaches, and then practically applying that in my life and living it out. And for each of us, the application will be different. There are certain things, for example, I have a brother who's an alcoholic. And let's say my brother gets born again. Is he still going to struggle with alcohol? Probably so. And what he has to decide, am I willing to give that up to be everything God wants me to be? I don't have a problem with alcohol. I never have. My brother has since high school. He, he, uh, he dealt drugs, and then and, and he drank like a fish, and it, it's caught up with every day. I don't have a problem with that. That's not an issue for me. So I, I can say, yeah, I'll give that one up. No problem going. I can give that one up. That's not my problem. I got other problems. And as a believer, God says, Randy, are you willing to give up that pride? Are you willing to give up that ego? Are you willing to subjugate Randy to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Or is it more about you? See, that's much more subtle. I can be actively rebellious against God, or I can be subtly rebellious. Subtly, tough word. I can be subtle in my rebellion against God. You might not ever know it, but who does? My wife, no. Who does? Mary, come on up and share. No, don't do that. Who does? God does. My daddy does. Now listen, my daddy never does anything wrong, does he? That's what my children, my daddy never does anything wrong. See, the beauty of being, when I got saved, that's why it was special. I did not have a relationship. My father was not a Christian. We were not tight. I played basketball for years. My dad never won game, never asked how I did, never, I wasn't allowed to drive. I wasn't allowed, we weren't. 
I wanted nothing to do with it. And when I got saved, God gave Father, you know, him. And boy, I crawled up in his arms, and I learned, this is what I, this is what I, now, I had to make amends with my earthly father because I had a bad attitude about it. Even as it was wrong on my part, the Christian God corrected that before my dad passed. But in the interim, who was my heavenly? And he brought some godly men, my, my father-in-law, and some other men to my life, John Latimer and others, that meant a lot, taught, showed me Christ. I had my best friend, uh, his mom, and some others as, as I got saved. And I, and I saw what a Christian home would have that with my dad. And I really wanted to be a godly father. Now, I wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect. But I learned the word of God. And that's what is the balance that I want you to understand. Am I willing to sacrifice money if necessary to spend more time with my family? Am I willing to sacrifice a certain relationship that's not Christ-like as a young person to be what God wants me? Maybe I can't date that guy. Maybe I need change my outlook on something to be what God wants me. Am I willing to sacrifice? Look at verse 5 of chapter 2. Reading, leading us into, by the way, we won't finish. I know you're thinking, this clown's taking 30 minutes on the intro. Don't worry about it. I'll get us there. A friend of mine is on staff, the Bartlett campus, his initial Chris Ellison. And the first time I ever preached was in 1989. He still has a set tape sermon because I spent 25 minutes telling a story about the first time I went to. And so every time I get a little cocky, he reaches into his desk drawer and he pulls that cassette out and says, don't make me use which, by the way, I guarantee you, I could take that from me. He's got 30 other copies. I know him. And he'll start, to start distributing those if necessary. So don't worry. I, I'll get us there. Now, verse 5, chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, in light of what he did, who he was, God also has highly exalted Jesus and given Jesus the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth. Every tongue should confess, that means agree, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. To the glory of God the Father. So here it is. We've talked about that. We're not going to go back and look at that passage again. But what you see there, that's the context leading into what we're going to talk about today. Verses 5 through 11. Verse 5 says, you, to us, you have the attitude of the mindset Jesus Christ had. Then verses 6 through 11, here's that attitude. The humble servant that we've talked about. The sacrificial, the one who humbled himself. Here's, your, here's the greatest example you'll ever see or know. That example, your Savior, Jesus Christ. What's the first word in verse 12? Therefore. I love these types of terms in the Bible. The word but, the word therefore, terms of conclusion or contrast. So you get, all right, oh, we're going to shift gears here. We're going to sum something up. We're starting a new principle. I need to pay attention. Therefore, in light of who Jesus is, in light of what he's done, you are a Christian. The word means little Christ. That's your example. Therefore, look at verse 12. My beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So what we're going to look at today is Jesus is the example for us to emulate. But it's not like I'm trying to do the best I can. What we're going to see is that balance. God, Warren Wiersbe put it this way, it's beautiful. God works in us and we work it out. How many of you like to work out? You look at me, you can tell I, I don't. Okay, let's be honest here. I just don't. Now, some of you look really good. And I'm impressed with that. I'm not a, a worker outer. However, 
God said, I'm, what you're literally about to see in verses 12 and 13 is that God is the energy. He energizes us to then go work it out. Let the world see that God is real. That's what it means to glorify him, that they see who God really is. So the point is, that we're going to look at is that the first thing in verses 12 and through 18, we'll start in verses 12 and 13 today, is we need to understand for us as believers, God says to us, let this mind be in you, mindset, attitude, Christ said, you will be servant of others, you will be humble. How are we going to understand that sacrifice? Am I willing to sacrifice? Number one, it's working with God. It's understanding and working with God. Look at verse 12, uh, the end of verse 12, end of verse 13. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. In light of who Jesus is, Ephesians 2 talks about we're saved by faith, not by works. We're saved by faith, not by, in other words, I cannot be saved based on what I do. I'm saved based on what Jesus did. He did the work. And then at the, but at the end of that passage, verse 10 of Ephesians 2, says, God, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus, that's the key, unto good works. We don't go out and do good to get saved. We do good because we are saved. God works in us. We work it out in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's favorite phrase in all his epistles to describe a Christian in Christ. In Christ, in Christ. Look at the beginning of verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, in light of who Christ is, notice he calls them my beloved. He is addressing fellow believer. That's very important. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, now is my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. The word obeyed, it's a great word. It means to place yourself under what you've heard. We get our English word acoustics from that word. Like the acoustics of this room. I was doing a wedding several weeks ago at Pink Palace, and they moved the wedding outside. It was a really hot day. They did outside. 400 people's wedding. It's huge. So I get there, and I ask the guy, where's my microphone? You don't need a microphone. The acoustics are really good here. I said, dude, we're outside. I need a microphone. I didn't have one, so I had to shout, scream, do you take? They're like, whoa, dog, we got it. We get our word acoustics from this. In other words... Paul is saying, you have been surrounded by, this is what you've heard, you're surrounded by, it's above you, around you, will you submit to that? And I love the idea, he says, in my presence or my absence, please don't miss this principle. It's the principle of personal responsibility. For example, what he's saying is, don't obey just because of the preaching town. That's literally what he's saying. Don't, play, don't do it just because you're hanging out with Randy that day. Because you know what? Randy don't care. I do. The point is, what are you hiding from God? Whether Paul was there in Philippi or Paul was in Rome, which is where he was as he's writing. Wherever he is, who's also in Philippi? Uh, God. And he's saying, it's not about whether I'm there or not. And he said, you've always obeyed. Your testimony is, you love the Lord, you've obeyed. He said, that hurt. No, he didn't say that hurt. He said, you've always, your example is you're, you're godly. So notice what he says. The principle, work out your own salvation. Don't please men. It's not about presence or absence. It's about you working with God. You know, Chuck Swindoll said something years ago. I've never forgotten it. I happened to hear when he said it. Year, it was at the Mid-South Coliseum. That's how long ago. But I was a young Christian. I heard him say this, and I loved Swindoll a day. But he said, he said, integrity and character for a believer is being godly when nobody's in the room but you. When nobody's in the room or the car but you. Because where is the Holy Spirit? You have not learned omnipresent. He's everywhere. Your wife. You ain't getting away with nothing, Jack. She's going to find out. You better behave. See, the problem with the Holy Spirit, he was on Facebook before there was one. He's all up in your face all the time. So you want to obey, not because he's going to get you. If you don't, why? Because you love him. You love God. You want to be what 
So here's the idea. Notice what he says. Work out your own salvation. If you stop there, it looks like he's saying what? You get saved by works. But he's talking to people who are already born again, right? So he doesn't say work for. He doesn't say work at. He doesn't say work up. What he says is work out. You're born again. You are a believer. You've been saved. This is the process of sanctification. You are being saved until you go home. You will be saved. So in the process of being saved, he says this. Work out your own salvation. Incredible word in Greek. Let me help you. This metaphor is good in us reminding us. Work out it means this. Remember when you were in high school or middle school and they would do word problems and you wanted to crawl under the, oh no, wait a minute, that was, you know, a train leaves point A going 80 miles an hour, the train leaves point B going 60 miles an hour, when do they intersect? I said, I don't know when crash, when you hear the crash, I don't know. In Greek, what this means is you've got a math problem, work it out to the problem. It also means if you've got this mine full of value or that mine it, mine it, keep mining it until you get what out of all the valuable. It also means you've got a field, work field to get best possible harvest from that, the metaphorical. That's what Paul is saying to believers, to believers. God is working in you. Now cooperate with him as he works out. Finish the problem. In another place, Paul puts it this way. I have run the race. Another place says I've finished the race. God places us a race. In my case, it was April 9th, 1970. I was saved 44 years. I'm still running the race. I'm a little slower now. I never was fast. I'm a lot slower now, but I'm still in the race, right? God still has me here, and I'm working it out. I'm working out the process of being more like Christ. Why? Because that's my race. I want to be like Christ. Finish the problem. Clear the field. Get the, the best possible harvest. The term means energize. The idea is this. I'm going to work. to poten- I want my full potential. For- and by the way, please understand the principle. As a matter of fact, let's go ahead and do this way. Look at verse 12 again. As my beloved, as you always obey, not my principle, but now much more in my absence. In other words, don't do it because I'm with you. I'm, I'm not with you. I'm at Rome. I'm writing to encourage you. Work out. Notice the next phrase. Please get this. It's so important. Work out what? The next time I want us to say it together. Work out what? Your own salvation. You see that? It means I'm saved. I'm born again because of what Jesus So are you. But I want you to look at the person on your left. Just look at them. You look nice. Go ahead. Even if they don't, say it. Okay, now look at the person on your right and say, you look incredibly handsome today. This happens to me all the time in restaurants. Now, turn to, that, turn to your left and say, you look unique. That's a nice way of saying different. Here's why this is important. Work out your own salvation. You know what he's saying? Randy Lockley is the only one in the world like me. You know that. If you've been around me, you know that. I'm the only one that that's crazy. I am Randy Lockley. I cannot be Dick Hunter. I can't be Tal Humphrey. I can't be Chad Stewart, even though I'd love to be Chad. I can't. Why? Because that's not who I am. I am the Popeye verse of the Bible. I am who I am. God knew me before he created the universe, and he went ahead and made me anyway. He chose me. He saved me. He gifted me uniquely to be me. That's what it means by your own. I can't be the Jesus in you that you need. You got to be who you are, where you are. Remember when we did that shape thing? Your spiritual gifts, your heart, your abilities, your personality, your experiences, they're totally different. For example, we mentioned my father earlier. You didn't have my father growing up, but I did, didn't I? I've, I've had open heart surgery. Not everybody in the room's had it. But when I visit somebody that's had open heart surgery, what can I say to them? I understand. This week, 
I'm sitting here in the room to, talking to this young couple, and the girl said, yeah, I work on the cardiology floor at Baptist East. I said, oh, I spent a lot of time there. They named part of that floor after me. She goes, how do you, how, what do you mean? I said, that I pulled my shirt apart. I said, oh, you have had open heart surgery, hadn't you? I know how that feels. I've had that. But I've never had my appendix out. I don't know how that feels. But I do know how open heart surgery. I know how gout feels. Anybody I know has got gout, I will pray for them. I used to laugh at my dad when he would take his gout pill, and I'd laugh, you old man. Now I got gout. I know how, how, how bad it hurts. I got that. I can understand that one. That's one of my experiences. My personality being goofy is just me. You may not be goofy, but you're probably different in some other way. I don't have talent like the folks up here on stage have. I don't have that talent, but I have other talents, I think. I haven't found out what they are yet, but I got them. The point is, God wants Randy to be whom? And he wants to let God work in Randy, using Randy as Randy was constructed, surrendered to Jesus Christ. He says, Randy, work with me. Work out your own salvation. Notice the next phrase in the, with what? Fear and trembling. Let me help you with that one. Fear and trembling is not like I used to think, ah, God's going to get me. That's not what it is. Now, there's aspects of that as part of it. But here's what fear and trembling is. Fear and trembling is, I know Randy, and I know how weak Randy is, and I know Randy has things he struggles with that cause him to sin. And so with a reverential awe for God and a trembling at my sinful nature, the world, the flesh, all that drives me to not be what God wants me to be, I need to work out my salvation with the trembling, knowing that I'm a sinner and I need God in every possible way, like in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, deliver us from evil, right? That's the idea. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. I do not want to let my father down because I know how weak I am. So I surrender the Holy Spirit constantly so I can be everything God wants to be. Work out fear and trembling. That's one of the reasons it's so important. Spend time in the word of God and in prayer because that's how you're strong. That's where you get your nourishment. That's where you get your strength to be what God wants. Fear and trembling. The awe for who your father is. Reverential concern that I want to lead my dad. Look at the next verse, verse 13. It's the very first thing in verse 13. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. You see that? Cooperative effort. I mentioned it earlier. It said God works in you. Greek air is energized. We get our word in. God works in you to give you the energy to do what? Work it out. Work it out. What God does in, and that's why, again, you're in the Bible and you're in prayer and you're, you're, you're convicted by the Holy Spirit to do this. Convicted by the Holy Spirit, don't do that. You're led by God to do this. And then you go do it. You go do it. You learn the principles. You apply the principles. And then you live out the principles. Galatians chapter 2, the Bible says this. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's the Apostle Paul. Right? I've been crucified with Christ. I'm alive. I'm going through life. But I have died to Randy, Paul, or I've died to the Apostle Paul. Live Christ. Christ lives in me. Colossians chapter 1, Paul writes these words. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect, complete, what it means, in Christ Jesus. Work it out, completion. To this end I also labor, striving according to his working, which works in me mightily. The energizing may not be easy, and it may not be comfortable, sometimes it's hard, God's working example. Who was Moses in the Bible? Ever hear him? If you have it, go watch Joe's Amazing Technicolor. 
Who was Moses? He was the great deliverer that God used, set children of Israel free from bondage. Egypt. How many years did it take God to prepare Moses to get him ready before he was Pharaoh? Forty years of tending sheep. Forty years to get him ready. I don't know how long God works, gets. He's working on you. He's working on me. Am I allowing him to do what he wants? Responding. He works in. I work out. Look at verse 13 again, the, the latter part. God works in you. Notice the two things, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Greek here means thoughtful, purpose, choice to be energized by God. In other words, I resolve that I'm going to let the whole its job in me. Romans chapter 12 begins way. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that your bodies are sacrificed, holy and acceptable unto God, with a reasonable service of worship. Give everything you are back to God. And be, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Formed versus transformed is when you pressure from the outside, peer pressure, and you respond to that. Peer pressure is not just a phenomenon, but... He said, don't be conformed to the world. Rather, be transformed, and that means from within that comes out. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind in the word of God, in prayer, in time alone with God. You let him transform you within rather than being conformed to what's without, transformed, and then live out. In Hebrews 13, the writer puts it this way, and we're going to stop here today. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. To whom be glory forever and ever, Jesus Christ. You see, it's not about me. It's about Christ in me and then caring of you. Letting God work and then I work it out. I don't work get set. I'm working. I am spawned. Here's my challenge to you as we look at sacrifice. We'll finish it up next week. Am I willing to sacrifice what I need to be what God wants? You need to ask yourself the question. As a matter of fact, bow your heads. Just everybody for a moment, quietly bow your head. Before we pray and before we sing, close out today, here's what I want you to do. Your head's bowed. I want you just to be honest with God. Asking yourself the question. By the way, God knows everything about you. Am I willing to sacrifice what I need to? to be what God wants. It might be money. It might be another person. It might be an attitude. It could be some physical struggling. Is Jesus more important to me? Everything. See some example of that next week. That are... So Lord, we pray very simply for believers, starting with me, that every day I look at my life and Lord, am I willing? Am I willing? Be honest with you. I will do that. You want me to do, I'll do that. To be everything you want me to be. I pray that for everybody here. That's a... And Lord, for somebody here who's not a Christian, that they would look at this dying, but then we'll cross. I need Jesus paid price and say to Jesus, forgive me, save me. I want to be a Christian. I want you to work. Lord, we commit this time.